Good evening and welcome to the Apple Store Mall of the Emirates in Dubai. Please join me in welcoming our guest moderator for the evening, Khalid Al-Ameri. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you all for coming um, to this first in a series of talks that Apple is going to be hosting that are super interesting. So you should check out not just this one, but a lot of them that are up and coming. So I have the honor of uh, introducing someone who I consider a very close friend uh, and a mentor, someone I knew back in my days in San Francisco uh, where we were thinking about new and cool ideas we wanted to bring to the world. And he's done a phenomenal job, and I want to bring him out. He is the founder of Lumba, which is a gaming company based in San Francisco. And he's just recently moved to Dubai. So let's give him a warm welcome. Abdullah. Thank you. So I don't want to waste any more time. I just want to get right into it. Tell us about Abdullah, the man behind the game. The game and the company, I the hope. The game and the company. Okay, good. Um, I'm Zebin. I'm originally from Kuwait. Um, spent my childhood and adolescent years, mostly in Kuwait, a few years abroad in uh, Cairo and North Carolina. Uh, finished high school in Kuwait. And then after that, uh, spent most of my adult life uh, in the US, in uh, New York, Boston, San Francisco. So the first thing that I, I noticed when I met you is your profile is somewhat different than a lot of the people that grow up in the, the Gulf. You lived in America, you lived in Egypt, been in UK. So what was that like in building your sort of your identity and your profile? Well, I think, um, I think gr I seen growing up in Kuwait has um, helped me define and anchor my cultural identity. So, uh, you know, Kuwait in the 1980s was in its, uh, the tail end of its cultural renaissance. So uh, theatrical plays, TV series, educational shows, those defined my cultural identity. And then for a brief period, we lived in, in Cairo, in Egypt, during the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And that helped me understand my broader Arab identity. And then a few years in North Carolina with, with my family uh, when I was younger, uh, helped me just anchor that identity even further. And my parents and my family, uh, you know, put an emphasis in, in uh, still identifying with our culture even when we were abroad. Uh, and and, and I, I, I defined my culture through the media to which I was exposed to, uh, which was basically boxes of videotapes of shows and plays. Did, do you think that played a role in sort of your attraction towards the entertainment industry the gaming industry, all that other stuff? It has. I think it manifested itself many years later. Um, you know, when, when I went to, to start Lumba and, and really took a really strong, hard look at, uh, at entertainment as it, as it is today, Arabic entertainment, and comparing it to what it was uh, 20, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. And there's a, there's a reason I emphasize on that, because before I met Abdullah for the first time, I did what anyone else does before a meeting, I check out the person's LinkedIn page. So I saw someone who was an associate at Morgan Stanley, was it? You know, Harvard MBA, uh, Bain consultant, and now he's the CEO and founder of Lumba. 
an entertainment and gaming company. And things didn't make sense to me. I said, what sort of happened there? Where did the shift happen? Yeah, it, seems, um, it seems quite um, uh, you know, random. But I would look back uh, perhaps at my professional stops in my 20s after my finishing college and where I've worked. And, um, and I see those, each of those careers or each of these stops defining um, you know, what I went on to, to build which is, or start, which is Lumba. So um, I spent many years in Saudi Arabia and in Turkey uh, in the finance industry looking at and investing in companies that served um, the young consumer, you know, which makes up most, most of the market uh, in the Middle East, and understood the market and understood the opportunity behind that, that customer base. Later on, when I went to graduate school, I, I uh, went on to get a better sense and understanding of technology, of entrepreneurship, and the opportunity that a platform like Apple and iOS is unlocking in all over the world, especially in emerging markets. And then lastly, you know, when I was in San Francisco, when I was working at a, at a consulting company, we were working with big technology clients and uh, we were closely advising them. So we got to, I, I personally got to understand, got an insight as to where the, where the technology industry is and um, you know, its, its, uh, its challenges and opportunities. But most importantly, you know, what a lot of these big companies feared. And for me, that's important in defining, you know, the opportunity that I was going, you know, setting myself to, to, to go after. So as I look back on those, on those years and these stops, I look at each career uh, stop as an opportunity for me to define, you know, what I wanted to do next. And I threaded these data points and insights, um, you know, together. And all of that culminated, I, I believe, in around the end of 2011. I was back, back home in Kuwait, and uh, I was spending time with, with my niece, and I was seeing her and seeing how she was interacting with the iPad. And I, uh, and I realized that this young generation of youth um, just was not exposed to the Arabic content and media that I was exposed to when I grew up, mm. right? So, and, and, and that's when all the lights sort of went on. Uh, I felt like there was a, uh, you know, I understood that there was a, a young audience, not enough engaging, you know, high production quality content, and they're engaging, or at least, you know, interacting with these devices, smartphones and tablets. So I thought games made sense, you know, maybe I should throw myself out there and, and, and give this a shot. How hard was it to walk away from everything? I mean, you had a lot, a lot going on for you. I would say very difficult, you know, socially and culturally, um, the, the path uh, less taken is not something that uh, our culture, you know, really emphasizes or encourages. Uh, you know, walking away from a, from a good job and in a good industry um, is, is, is never an easy thing to do. However, you know, I was, uh, I was very much encouraged uh, by my family, and, and my mother is here to, to, to confirm that, um, to, to take this risk, you know, and, and go for this thing that has been percolating in my head for so long. Um, and, and it was, I felt at the time, was a time for me to switch from being a thinker to a doer. 
So you know, it was difficult, but it was, it was a risk I was willing to take. So that's a good segue. So let's talk about what you've done. So you've got Lumba. How did it start? Uh, good question. So Lumba, I think I could, I could trace Lumba to um, the inception of Lumba almost to a date and time. Uh, at the time I was working in San Francisco and a friend of mine um, introduced me or wanted to introduce me to my future business partner. Um, at the time I was busy and I almost uh, skipped out on the lunch, which was going to be lunch with the, with, with the future business partner. Why did you do that? Uh, well, I mean, I was busy, and that's an excuse I think that I use all the time. I think uh, my mother can confirm that. But, uh, but I, you know, something, something told me that you should just you know, go down and spend a half an hour talking to this gentleman. So I did. And I met this very charismatic, very smart gentleman. His name is Ali Diab, yeah. uh, Syrian-American, uh, born in Saudi Arabia, grew up in Palo Alto, uh, you know, a, a, a very... Uh, successful uh, education and career for him, Stanford, Oxford, and worked at Yahoo and Microsoft, started a few companies, sold a few, invested in many, and we started talking for a year. I mean, we developed a very close personal relationship as friends. And, uh, and after my trip to Kuwait, I came back and I had dinner with Ali and his family, and we started talking. It was a, it was a Sunday night, and I told him about what it is that I saw and what is I was thinking. And he made a very compelling proposition that evening. He said, you know, look, Adela, I think uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and I, I see an opportunity, and I think you do too. Um, if you quit Bain, uh, the consulting company I was working at, I'll write you your first check. Didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, uh, I had uh, many sleepless uh, anxiety as well as... Uh, uh, excitement-driven nights uh, in the weeks to follow. And then I decided to uh, quit my job and, and start Lumber. Was there anything that happened that sort of clicked and said, all right, now I'm doing it? Because you said you, you had like three or four or five, I don't know how long it was, sleepless nights. Yep. You were excited. But can you trace it to a moment that you said, that's it, I'm picking up the phone, I'm taking this check? Yeah, I think it's... Um Selfishly speaking, at the time I was 29, yeah. close to 30, and I felt that uh, for most of my professional career up until then, I was you know, working in very exciting and interesting industries with very smart people that helped me become who I am. But um, I, I just wanted to shift from a, an investor to an operator, from a thinker to a doer. And, uh, and I felt that if I didn't do it then, then I most likely won't do it anytime after that. So the, the, when, in addition to the personality shift and sort of the industry shift that I saw in your LinkedIn profile, part of the thing that sort of scared me is, or before meeting him, was, you know, you had this profile that didn't necessarily match the profile of someone who was starting an entertainment company, especially one that needs, like, sort of where coding and technical skills are really at the foundation. What did you bring to the table that sort of told you that, built that confidence in you that you could build this? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just naturally a risk-averse person, I would say, probably less so now than I was before. And, um, and I, I certainly didn't have the technical skills. However, I, you know, I, I understood a few things. 
uh, going into this. One is, um, you know, how to assess an opportunity, understand the risk and rewards. Two, um, how to um, essentially deconstruct a very complex problem and build it, which is something that's important to do in a domain such as games. But third, and perhaps most importantly, understood the value of a network. The value of going out, putting yourself out there, meeting people, establishing bonds and relationships and friendships with the industry. Because at the end, these will be your partners. They will be people you work with, your employees. They will be your advisors. They will be your investors. And that's what I leveraged. I mean, the year or two years that I spent working in San Francisco before I started Lumba was pretty much spent going out, meeting people, going to events, um, and, and establishing my professional network that I didn't have coming to San Francisco, you know, coming from a, from a finance and an investment background. And that served me quite well, because when, I, when the time came to start Lumba, I basically picked up the phone and started talking to this network that I have established over the course of two years. And people who I didn't expect to go out and go out of their way to help me and, uh, and, and, and make this happen, uh, essentially came on board as advisors, as investors, as, as recommenders or references to, to people that I could work with to make Lumba you know, happen. So with every company, there's always a first product. Yep. Can you tell us about the first product that you shipped to market? Yes. Uh, Desert Tycoon, Sultana Sahara. Sultana Sahara. Yeah. My mother still plays till today. Uh, <laughs> a loyal, a loyal yeah. customer. Yeah, huh? very, very loyal <laughs> customer. Um, Sultana Sahara is a product of, uh, well, again, selfishly, a product of a, of a show that I enjoyed watching when I was in my youth, when I was young. It's a Kuwaiti TV series called Darb Zalek. Uh, so the game was based on a show that you well, loved? The story. The, the story, story was, was inspired. Based, the story was inspired yeah, by the story was inspired by a show. That was Zeleg, which roughly translates to Slippery Slope, which is quite apt for what I was doing. <laughs> um, is uh, a show that retells the, the, the story of many Gulf countries uh, and, and their transformation from you know, poor arid states, arid desert states, to the discovery of oil and that transformation and how it affected society. And that was projected on a family of a mother and, and, and two of her children. Um, so I took that show with, with that show in mind and I realized that that's a narrative, that's a story mm. that would resonate with a lot of our audience um, that, that we wanted to go after. So we designed the, the game, we wrote the narrative and the story and we put together a small team to develop it. And out of our you know, absolute naivety, I would say, uh, we, we managed to build a product and a game in eight weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and we launched it in June 2012. We released it. It got many downloads on the first day, and then it stopped working. So I think our naiv naivety came back and bit us. So, so, like, no one could play it anymore? No one could play it. Technically, it was, it was quite a flop. So we went back, had to rebuild it, and take it to market again. And that was a very humbling experience because... In this industry, you could have days that you're on top of the mountain yeah. and others in which you're the sort of the, the abyss, right? Like the, the lowest bottom that you could think of. And I managed to experience both. Both, yeah. uh, You know, when, when we launched our first product, which we were very proud of, but it just didn't work. 
but eventually, you know, we managed to re-release it and worked and uh, and got us to understand the market better. So, so you said you built something about that in eight weeks of the market. So and shipped it. So I'm assuming that there wasn't really enough time in that whole process to understand what the market wanted. Yeah. So. Um, we have to go look back, look back at, 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 the, uh, at this market in uh, 2012. There were absolutely no data points, uh, no references for us to work off of. Um, at that time, when we actually released Sultan al-Sahra, was there any other the games? Game. Sorry, sorry, was there any other games before this in Arabic? No. So no games. Actually, most of the apps on the App Store, uh, very few of them were actually titled in Arabic. If okay. I was to look back, if I remember correctly. So, if anything, that's a very good indicator of a, what I call a blue ocean, right? Yeah. You go out, you're, there's not a lot of competition, and you should sort of create the data yourself, right? Don't wait for the market to create it for you. Uh. Uh, so that was you know, one of the main sort of reasons and the impetus that we went for, uh, the impetus that got us to, to get uh, Sultan al-Sahra, Desert Tycoon, out there. But despite it being a technical failure as a game, there was a tremendous amount of lessons that we got that we learned over the course of the year after we released the game. So I would look at the main thesis, the main thing that we wanted to prove with Sultan al-Sahra is, is if cultural references, if culturally attenuated games worked or not. After 10,000 reviews, most of which were four and a half stars or five, that served as a validation for us that this is a market that is worth the time and the effort to develop for, right? Sorry, there's something uh, it doesn't. Uh, uh, it's confusing for me. Sorry, because I'm not. Please I'm do. not ten. Yeah. So, what I'm hearing is 10,000 reviews, 4.5 stars, and then I'm hearing on the other end a technical fit. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So, as a businessman, when ah, something okay. doesn't work, Fine and you don't make money, it's a failure. Oh, okay. So okay. The, the game didn't make money, <laughs> right? It, it, you know it. it it didn't generate the revenue to, for it to, uh, to become a success or defined as a success, right? I got you. So, um, so we learned from that. And that could have been a decision for us to just walk away from this market. Yeah. But the, the point of validation, the point that we wanted to prove, which, which is, you know, is culturally relevant content, does it work or not, was proven that it does work. Is that why you didn't walk away? Well, you know, a year, a year, a year into it, um, we have um, spent all our money that we put in to, to, st to start the company. It wasn't generating the revenue that we had in mind. Uh, I blew all my savings you know, uh, into the game. Uh, I didn't earn a single dollar as, a, as an income for a year because everything was put into the, the mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was very, very difficult. It was, uh, I was quite uh, anxious. I would say the same feeling that I had uh, before starting Lumba which is the anxiety yeah. and excitement, so. it was only anxiety this time. You know, many sleepless nights of just pure anxiety. Did you ever think about going back to the, the life you had, the comfortable, what you were doing? Of course, yeah. I mean, uh, I think at the time it was very tempting to go back to uh, you know, the corporate world and, and get a, 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 you know, a, an income and health insurance and, <laughs> and vacation days, uh, which, uh, which you don't get as an entrepreneur. Um, but... You know, this thing that uh, kept nagging at me or looking at me, which is the 10,000 reviews of four and a half stars out of yeah. five, 
um, just made me realize that this is something that we really want to go after. And, uh, and I'd have to say, you know, it was the encouragement of my family, yeah. you know, my, my, my business partner that helped me get, get through that and make that decision to double down and go for building the second game. So you mentioned then at the beginning that you had, you know, a tremendous amount of support from your family back home in Kuwait. Uh, your mom's here. She supported it. What was their reaction when you, when you thought about walking away? I mean, it's, it was, um, you know, it was something difficult for them to sort of um, to cater to, right? Okay. And on the one end, they want their, you know, their son to be, to be uh, comfortable and happy. Sure. But on the other end, they know that this is something that I was very passionate about and wanted to go yeah. after. Um, so it was, it was encouraging to whatever decision that I'd said, you know, end up and decided to do, uh, or rather to take. Amazing. Yeah. So what happened next? You have the support, you have the market that tells you they want more of this. There was that fire inside you still. What did you do? So again, you know, I went back to working with what I liked and um, to design the story. Again, we, we wanted to focus on what worked and what worked was content that's, that's very much catered to this market. Um, we, you know, I took a, a film that I was very passionate about and I, and I still love, which is Lawrence of Arabia. And we took that as an inspiration for our second game, uh, the story, the premise, the narrative. But what we did completely differently is how we went about building the game. So this time around, as opposed to our first game, we understood who the market is. We understood who our customer was. And uh, we designed exactly what the customer sort of wanted or needed. So uh, for, for Desert Tycoon, I'm sorry, for Tribal Tribal Rivals or Faza, Faza. it's, uh, you know, our target demographic was male between the age of 18 to 34. Um, it was the sort of the, I would say the Arabic speaking or the Gulf male. And, uh, and to their nature or rather to, to their characteristic, very competitive, very social, but also very tribal, right? They wanted to band together, build teams, sort of experience this game together as opposed to independently as, as a single player. So we took all of that, developed the game around it, and we launched it last year. What was interesting about launching Faza, Tribal Rivals versus Desert Tycoon, is that up until when we launched Faza, again, the amount of Arabic applications was very scarce. When still. we released Faza, still. When we released Faza, taking everything that we've learned and culturally packaging it, mm. the game managed to box its way up to the top grossing charts Shall across the region as a top five grossing game, as a single Arabic titled application, not just game, application, that's in the top five and 10 for months in a row. And that was, in my belief, an inflection point for Arabic content in the App Store. So if you look at the applications, the App Store today, you see many applications in Arabic, many app game applications in Arabic. And you know, we're happy that we've been contributors to that because if anything, you know, that, that has satisfied our, you know, my personal mission in developing more Arabic content for this market in which you know, the youth can benefit from and, 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 and be impressioned by. 
how's that been technically and financially and all the things? So for, in terms of like creating the user experience, you said you learned a lot. But in terms of like, has it crashed at all? Has, how's I that mean, been? It's, it's, never, it's never a smooth ride uh, in this business. You know, just, just yesterday, uh, I was up you know, very late <laughs> at night um, you know, managing a technical issue that we had. Uh, you know, this is four years into it. You know, you think by now I'm wow. experienced at it, but it still happens, and I think it's par for the course. You know, you have to, uh, you know, roll up your sleeve and 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 do things that you probably you think you shouldn't be doing, but you should. You know, so I was replying to customers at 1 a.m. in the morning. I was talking wow. to our engineers, you know, at, at midnight or 2 a.m. And up until 6 a.m. this morning, when it was fixed, like you know, many members of our team were just just had a sleepless night just to fix this issue. So you know, it's it's never it's never a smooth ride, but it's it's part of the excitement. You know, it gets you. It's so raw and so visceral, and it's so just uh, exciting yet, you know, gut wrenching. That for some reason I think as humans, we just enjoy that. We enjoy the highs and the lows. Yeah. And you know, I, I would never replace it for anything else. So. I don't know how long ago, but I read that like Lumba signed a deal with Telfaz, and you're doing other work in other mediums. So what's the dream for Lumba? You've started with games. Where do you go from here? So you know the vision for Lumba from the beginning um, has always been to become a, an entertainment company as opposed to just a mobile gaming company. So a mobile entertainment, Arabic mobile entertainment company. Games, we believe, should be the, at the core of this vision, of this mission. And the analogy that I always use, and you've probably heard many times, is that you know, if Walt Disney was to start Disney again today, I would, I would believe that he would think twice about going about into, into animation first as opposed to games. Games, as a medium, is extremely powerful. It's an interactive, beautiful, engaging medium in which you could tell a very fun and engaging story. So if you use that as your anchor, as your core, there are so many other things you could do with it. You know, with Faz'a, with Sultan al-Sahra, with Timsah, you know, we could build a game, an interactive game, and if it did, does well, we could go into other mediums that serve that same audience. So animation, interactive stories, anything that could be consumed on your mobile device, smartphone device, or your tablet. And for me, that's you know, that's, that's, the, that's the mission, you know, that, that we started off with, and that's the, that's the vision that we have for Lumba in the years to come. So, and I want to ask, like, was that, like, when you were first thinking about starting with a game, was that always a vision? Because I don't know if any of you have played the game, but it literally is, I don't know if it's a game within a story or a story within a game, because they, they match, just like, like, you pass a level and it's like, you know, at least a minute, a minute and a half of a story, and, and it just continues as you get the level. So it seems like production's embedded in, in the game. Was, was the vision of Walt Disney, an entertainment company, always something that you thought about? It has. You know, at times, I would say we'd oscillate between just focusing on games and doing something else. But you know, when we went about you know, building Lumba, and whenever we build, go about building our games, this is what we think about. It's more about what's the story we want to tell rather than what's the game we want to play. Got right? you. So as, as long as we have that in mind and we design the experience and we design the characters and the story around it, you know, filling it with sort of the, the features and interactions that make it an engaging game 
is almost secondary. I'm not saying it's not important. So the story comes first. Story comes first, yes. I love it. So, I've done my part, now it's your part. So anyone who has questions for, first of all, let's give them a round of applause for joining us this evening. And I'll turn it over. I think we have a couple of mics, one and two. So we can literally ask questions until we all get bored. Or we all need to go have dinner, whatever comes first. So, yes, sir. Can we get a mic over here, please? If you could just say your name and... Hi, Abdullah. I'm uh, Yusuf Kutsi. I'd like to ask, when you released the second game and, you know, first day on the App Store, what's it like? You're watching numbers and, and how does it get into the market? People just see it? Do you advertise? Like, what's that period? So, uh, very good question. So, uh, our experience with that has changed. Uh, we were so naive when we started Lumba that when we released it, our first game, we just sat down and basically... Uh, you know, crossed our arms and uh, and waited for people to download it. Um, <laughs> that doesn't work, you know. So you know, one download, two downloads a day. Uh, this doesn't work that way. Um, so this time around, when we went to market, uh, we utilized a new channel. So you know, in, in, in game speak, or rather in, in app speak, in this industry, they call it user acquisition. So there are ways that you could go after the user, the customer. Uh, to show them your product and send them to download the product. And those are different channels to do that. Twitter is one, Facebook is another, you know, YouTube, advertising networks. So all the annoying ads that you see on your face Facebook feed, that's us, you know? So please, please do excuse us. But it works. It does work, yeah. yeah. Next question. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Ahmed. Uh, I just have a quick question. I was recently debating with a friend the, the pros and cons of having an in-house uh, engineering team and a outsourcing an engineering team. I'm of the in-house camp, but uh, he made a compelling argument for the outsourced team. What's your take? And maybe yeah, that's a that's a very good question, Ahmed. Um, I've been uh, almost four years into this, and I still don't have an in-house team. We have contractors that we work with now. I say this with a caveat. Um, whoever you work with, you have to get to them through a very strong reference. So the people that we have worked with have generally been people that people in our network know and they've worked with and they've referred to us to them or them to us. Um, and that's very important for contractors especially because they could easily you know, take you out on a walk and you know, keep 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 milking you for your money, but if they're as vested in, into this as you are, and they have a relationship to manage with whoever introduce you to them or introduce them to you, then that dynamic will change very quickly. Yes. So, so when um, so his question was, you know, does it eventually transform to an in-house team? And yes. So, part of us opening up our office in Dubai is to build our own in-house team. Um, being out in Silicon Valley in San Francisco is fantastic. It's great. But for us to build an Arabic company that services this market, we want to be in the market and hire people from the market. Next question. 
Allora, uh, I, um, my name is Francesco De Feo, I went from Italy, and so That's forgive good. my bad English. It's <laughs> beautiful. Okay. Um, how much is important for you per digital marketing for your business? Extremely important. Um, but I, you know, I, again, I want to say that, um, not to say for new developers that, you know, you have to keep that in mind and, and sort of let that dominate your thinking and your financials. But at some point, you have to uh, you know, budget for, for digital marketing. You have to budget for user acquisition. And today, you know, I see our, many, many people see us as a, uh, a, a content company or a mobile gaming company, but I see us as a marketing company because we really have to push our product, right? And we have to convince users besides the ones that we've reached already, that this is a compelling product that they should time, invest their time in and, and, and use. So, you know, to, towards that extent, you know, I'm, I'm spending, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the digital marketing myself today, but I'm building a team of just two individuals uh, to, to help me with that as well. Assalamu uh, alaikum. Thank you for giving us your time. Sure. And thank you, Khalid, for letting us know about this. Um, I have two questions. The first one, uh, are you planning to launch, uh, like, how do I say it, like Fazia 2, for example, or Persana Saha 2, for example, and why did you come to Dubai? We know all uh, the market is bigger in San Francisco, and it's like, yeah. it's, a, it's a dreamland there. Yeah. What did you decide to shift here? Khalid likes this question. That's what I do. To answer the first part of your question, <coughs> we thought about sequels. Um, and sequels are interesting because it's almost you're guaranteeing a user base that you have that li like your game so much and you want to serve them again, right? But it also kind of robs you of your creativity because sometimes you want to explore new ideas and take the market just to a different place, right? Rather than recycle an existing idea. Um, so we could be risk averse and do that or just take bets and, and, and try to introduce new great stories to the market, which we always strive to do. Answering your second question, Silicon Valley, San Francisco, yes, it's, uh, it's the center of the tech world. It's living in the modern day renaissance, right? Um, and I've, I've, I've spent quite a bit of time there. I've spent the last five years there. But uh, you know, when I first moved to, to the Bay Area in 2010, San Francisco, it was just starting, at least San Francisco itself, was just starting to become a scene for tech. And, uh, but now it's very crowded, that's one. But two, you know, for me, um, you know, building a company that's serving this market, I have to be in this market because you understand your customer better, you build a team that understands the, the customer better, everyone from you know, uh, your engineers to your customer service team, which by the way, we have eight uh, customer service agents, bless their soul, all of them are Saudi, male and female college students, right? And they work for us as, as part-time, you know, in wow. their spare time. And that's important for us because that's the audience that we are serving. So we want our audience to interact if they have any issues with their peers rather than someone they can't relate to. So, so it's, it's absolutely critical to be in this market. Yeah. Mona. My name is Mona. First of all, well done. Very well done. Thank you. Uh, my question is, um, we live in a constant change. Everything is going very fast, and things that we may think that were impossible now, they are part of our lives. So my question to you is, 
Where do you see yourself and your company in five years? Maybe inventing an original app for Expo? Mm. Well, She's okay. a journalist, huh? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I should, I should have a good answer. To, you should have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> um, five years, I think, is eternity in this business. Um, but, you know, it's been almost four years for me, right? Almost five years. <coughs> I think, like I said earlier, what we have in mind for Lumba and over the next five, say three to five years, is for it to become an entertainment house. So, you know, the games that we build and people love, we would love to take those games and make them animations, or we'd love to take them and make them interactive stories. Um, so it becomes just a much more holistic company as opposed to a single channel, a single product company. Um, we're still going to be here. I think if anything, we're, you know, we'll, we'll increase our presence. We're, you know, we have so much confidence in this market, and I think Apple as well in opening their stores here in the, in the UAE. Um, and there's so much going for it. I mean, we're, we're extremely excited. I can't always just emphasize how ex excited we are for, for this young market and this you know, ex vibrant youth that we're serving. Oh, okay. <laughs> one more. Does anyone else have questions so I can get a raise of hands? So we have one more, and then we'll call it an evening, if that's okay. Uh, two, two more questions. Is that okay? Okay. Actually, two questions here, if that's okay. No, yeah. Um, first, uh, unrelated. The first one is um, now with TV, TV OS out and Apple TV out, is that something that you guys are looking at? And is that going to change what you think you can do with gaming because it, it, it really could change the experience for a lot of people. Uh, and the second question is, uh, what kind of uh, consumer retention plans do you have in place? I mean, it's, it's harder to get, uh, I mean, it's supposedly six or seven times harder to get new consumers than to keep your current um, customer base. What kind of plans do you have in place? Or this guy's asking the right yeah, questions. Are you, starting a, uh, are you starting an entertainment company with <laughs> yeah. games? Yeah. Watch out. Um, <laughs> First question, Apple TV, extremely excited about it. I, I probably didn't give it much thought until I went and I saw it probably earlier this week and I saw just kids playing with, with the games and uh, I, I definitely see a, a future for that platform. Uh, if you were to ask me a week ago, I would have said no. So, you know, they're selling the hot, like hotcakes, I think, uh, you know, I really, I, I'm a big fan. Uh, second, Retention. Um, what we realized about building uh, our second game, or going into building our second game, is the importance of community. And uh, without a community, you just you just have a shell. You have a game that people play and, and delete. So we invest in community. If you look at our social media presence, if you look at our customer, everything that touches the customer, from the product to any complaints they have, to sort of announcements, you know, them following us all through different social media channels. That's the community. And I think the, you know, the better job that we do in, 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 in serving our customers in that community, you know, translates very well into retention. I mean, we're seeing retention numbers for us, for, for our second game, you know, that are at par with, you know, developed markets. Um, and I don't think that's, that would be the case in other emerging markets. Um, so, you know, I would, I, I would like to emphasize that, you know, spending time and resources and building the community around your, your product is, is just as important as building your product. Sir. 
please. Hi there. Uh, my name is Monty. Uh, so you have a finance background. I'm just interested if you dealt with any VCs back in San Francisco and the issue of uh, pre-money, post-money valuations. Um, I actually, long story short, I haven't um, for a reason. And uh, because we're playing a much longer longer-term bet and play, I just didn't think that pure VC money and its current interpretation is, is suited for us. Now, I understand you know, how to value our company or how to negotiate, and that's critical, I think, for every, every entrepreneur to understand. And there are many books uh, out there that, that will walk you through that. Um, but you, you know the value of your company, and you know the kind of investor there you want to bring in. And I knew from the onset that that investor is not necessarily a Silicon Valley's VC, as, 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 uh, you know, as prestigious as that may sound, and as accessible as it was for me when I was there. I decided against that because it just didn't make sense for what I was building and the market I'm serving. They just don't understand that market. They don't bring value to me. However, I went for investors that I knew, that knew me, that understand this market, and that could bring very tangible value to the table. And they are not VCs. They are angel investors. Some of them are traditional investors. But they are operators. They understand my consumer as well as I do. And they can make the right introductions that I need. And some of them are actually here today. You know, and because of them, I'm, I'm talking. If it wasn't for them, you know, if it was an American VC or a VC that didn't understand this market, regardless of where they're from, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here, you know, this, I would say, three or four years later. Sir. Hi, Abdallah. My name is Fahad. Um, I'd ask, um, what advice would you give young people who are trying to get into this space and, you know, aspire to do what you have accomplished? Very good question. I would um, think of a few, but I'll try to keep this as short as possible uh, just because of time. Um, the first is... Um, the thing about that entrepreneurship is you start with this uninformed optimism. And it's amazing. This is the feeling that I was talking about in the beginning, where you go with just excitement and anxiety, and there's nothing is going to stop you, right? You hit your peak, you crash. You're bound to make a mistake. And then you go through a period, I call this the dark period, where you assess your options, you see what, you have, what mistakes you've done, what you've learned. And then you have a decision, walk away or continue. If you continue, that curve with persistence and with the right bets can turn to informed optimism. It was uninformed in the beginning, and I'm sorry if I said informed in the beginning, but it's uninformed, and now it's informed optimism. And that's where you want to be as an entrepreneur, is you know, work through the cycle, work through the difficult times, be persistent, and get through to that informed optimism. Because then, you know much more about the market than anyone else, and you could operate just on a much more different level, right? That's one. Two, a lot of the stuff that you do in a startup is quite a grind. It's not glorious. I mean, there are times where things are great. When you, sh when you launch a product, when you have great reviews, when you're interviewed by Khaled Al-Amri, right? But many times, it is not as exciting, and it's quite a grind, you know? Example is last night, replying to customers or working with the team to fix a bug. 
you know, and and and, and you know, blowing through uh, uh, weekends, not having vacation. I haven't had a vacation in four years. Okay, so you know, that's 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 the grind. And if you're able to go through that grind and put yourself through it, you know, with the right opportunity and the right vision and the right support. I think I'm saying a lot, but you know, things things tend to tend to work out. So we have one final question from the gentleman in the back. Yes, my name is Bobor, and um, I would like to ask you a few questions. So, um, you said you were like in, at the bottom of the um, rock, so you felt like you were like uh, at the down. And I want to ask, I mean, what what kind of drive, what kind of factor that kept you going on? Was that only your family support, or there was another thing. Just before you answer, do you have any more questions on top? No, no, that thank the, you. That's the only one? Okay, yes. thank you. Thanks. Um, you know, when, when you start something, or you, then, I think Khaled mentioned this before, um, but, you know, when, when you start something, you have to have absolute conviction in that big picture. Sometimes when you're at the bottom, you're so lost in the details and sometimes you know what you need to do is take a break step back and look at where you're going right so at the time when when things were difficult for me it was a game that was not working or it was a community that i wasn't managing well or it was a, a product that was not monetizing very well and i could have just stopped there because everyone would have said well this is a failure however if you say well my vision is for this to be much bigger than this product or this problem. My vision is for this to become an entertainment company, for this to become sort of the top utility app you know, in the world. Or, you know, and you start sort of visioning, envisioning that, you know, that idea in your mind. That keeps you going. You know? it's, it's just, um, you know, it brings out that, that persistence in you, right? And, and brings out that, 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 that excitement, which I feel like sometimes is lost on many when you are in a setting in which you don't have control over what you're doing. Whereas when you have a lot of control and where, where you have others depending on you, you know, you just naturally, as a human being, you just muster through it, right? And you, you, start, you start charging forward. Thank you. So I want to thank Abdullah for your time. I want to thank you thank all you. for spending the evening with us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm biased, but, you know, I have a lot of love for Abdullah. I have a lot of love for what he's doing. Uh, someone I'm proud to call a friend and a mentor. And nothing made me happier than when he decided to move uh, from San Francisco to the UAE. And I believe uh, Dubai is a better place with you in it, my friend. Thank you. Gawakallah.